Jiminy Cricket, he flew the coop. Greetings, khaki scouts, and welcome to Jump Cuts, a podcast about movies. My name is Charlie, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Will. Uh, this is my second movie that I've had us watch that has an on-screen ear piercing, and I'd like to apologize now. <laughs> Wait, what was the first one? Videodrome. This Videodrome. is my second in oh, a row. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yikes. Uh, and Park. Uh, I just want to say that this is not my real job. I'm a scoutmaster of Troop 55. <laughs> Thank you, Park. This week, we watched Moonrise Kingdom, a movie about coping with your extremely troubled... I just said troubled. <laughs> Shrebbled. Troubled. Uh, all right. I'm going to re-say it, but if you want to leave that in there for comedic effect, you go right ahead. Uh. <laughs> a movie about coping with your extremely troubled child. Uh, this was a Will pick, per a fan suggestion, actually, so I will throw it over to Will for the recap. Uh, that's right. This was our first ever uh, listener request. Uh, maybe our last one ever. <laughs> uh, not because the movie was bad, but because um, we don't want to give you guys that kind of power. Uh, so <laughs> I figured we'd, we'd honor the first one because I know the guy. <laughs> and uh, yeah. This uh, is our domain. So, yeah. Uh, but if people suggest uh, good ideas, then we might do those. Uh, like Moonrise Kingdom. So. Uh, Moonrise Kingdom is about, at least according to IMDb, a pair of young lovers that flee their New England town, which causes a local search party to fan out to find them. Uh, This is a uh, Wes Anderson movie uh, about uh, young love and a big storm (laughs) that comes uh, Mm -hmm. to try to interrupt that young love. Uh, Like most Wes Anderson movies, uh, it feels sort of like you're looking at a dollhouse the whole time, particularly like the beginning of the movie when they're showing uh, Susie's house. Everything's very symmetrical. It feels very small somehow. Um, and it's like everything's very particular. If you've seen Wes Anderson, this is yet another Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which is not a bad thing. <laughs> no, I don't think that's a bad thing either. Um, I could see it, it being difficult to like marathon all of his movies in a row maybe, but like... Um, this, I, I, I like his style, um, and this is pretty firmly, uh, in that style. Uh, so our two, our two main characters are, uh, Susie, who, uh, is the oldest daughter in, like, the house that is in the opening scene of the movie. Uh, she lives there with her two parents and three brothers on an island of, like, maybe, like, a hundred people. Like, did they say the population of this island no, I don't think we ever really get like a sign, like a sign giving the population or anything like that. We just know it's a small island. Yeah, I get the impression that they're like taking the ferry or the seaplane off the island to like go to school, right? Because it's in a little like nest of barrier islands off the coast of whatever state they're supposed to be in in New England. Yeah, my guess would be Maine, but that's just a guess. Um, I was but... going to say Connecticut, but either one Connecticut yeah. could be could be either. Um, people are wearing duck boots. Uh, everyone is extremely pale. <laughs> you know. Yeah, um, not a lot of, of diversity in this movie. There's a lot of white people, but there's a lot of white people on barrier islands of New England, so I guess that makes sense. Uh, they live on this very small island. Like, there's not even paved roads. Uh, they have like 
kind of gravel paths at best. Um, and her uh, boyfriend and later husband is uh, Sam, who is a uh, escaped khaki scout. Uh, khaki scouts are basically just, uh, I guess, copyright-free Boy Scouts, <laughs> or like local Boy Scouts um, on the island. And uh, Sam and Susie have are both, uh, I guess, quote-unquote, troubled children uh, who... Uh, found each other and exchanged letters back and forth and fell in love and are planning on running off into the wilderness so they can finally be together and away from Susie's parents and the other khaki scouts who make fun of Sam. Uh, and the whole plot is just revolving around all the adults and even some of the kids on the island trying to uh, find Susie and Sam uh, what did y'all think? I know this was Charlie's first time watching Moonrise Kingdom and also maybe your first Wes Anderson film. Yeah, so I watched, well, I watched Fantastic Mr. Fox with you, oh, yeah. but it was on spring break when we were freshmen in college, so I don't remember that movie at all. Um, My memory is very good, so I remember it. But I <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is purely a memory deficiency issue, obviously. Um, but yeah, so this is the first Wes Anderson movie I've really sat and paid attention to. Again, one of the themes of this podcast is that I haven't watched enough good movies. So, you know, I'm, I'm here for your first time viewer perspective on a lot of these. But I loved this movie, man. It was really good. Uh, and I, I mean, I will talk a lot about the directional style. I'm sure I wrote a lot of stuff down about that. But just from a story and writing perspective, I really, really liked it. Because I, like I said in our group chat uh, before we started recording, for some reason, sad, lonely kids just, they, they kid me, man. It messes me up. Every movie with, like, the the saddest thing I can imagine, and I know, like, objectively there are much worse things in the universe, but the thing that makes me, like, tear up more than anything else is children who have no one come to their birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> that, I don't know why, but just that that specific image of, like, lonely child is so painful, and that's kind of what both of our main characters are right in... Susie and Sam are just lonely, friendless, misunderstood children uh, who you get a lot of like painful, sad kid moments from in the first half of the first half of the movie. Uh, but then the the way they build their relationship and kind of develop these other friendships too with the other khaki scouts, it's just oh man, it's really well done. I thought it was a really well written movie. I mean, it won an Oscar for best original screenplay, obviously, but yeah. all of that stuff just really resonated with me. So I just loved this movie. It's something Wes Anderson really thrives in doing, where he can make these absolutely gorgeous films with a beautiful, wonderful story that have very happy themes to them. But there's always something that just kind of hits you right in the feelings in all of his movies, whether it's Royal Tannenbaum's Moonrise Kingdom, uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. There's always a theme that's a major part of the movie that will make you feel something, and it's usually sad. <laughs> yeah, it's it's strange to me how, like, 
especially in terms of like the writing and sort of the screenplay how like none of his movies and this one included i'll try to maybe keep it more to moonrise kingdom with this um because i guess it's fresher in my memory but like none of the conversations these characters have or very few of them feel like ones that real people would be having like they're all very like either like cute or kind of like snappy or twee throughout the whole movie right all those movies like it's not like you're not really in reality for most of the time but uh he still manages to like have you I, i always see his movies and like maybe this one more than his other ones as like sort of just trying to make you feel nostalgic for something it's like on-screen nostalgia for something that you maybe haven't even like lived through personally but mm-hmm. i don't know it's very like it, they all feel very familiar even if like i've you know i've barely even been to the northeast <laughs> uh, or like to like <laughs> new england right like my childhood wasn't like this at all but it still all feels very like lived in and familiar mm-hmm. uh and i don't I, I don't know how he does it exactly it's kind of hard to like articulate almost right like people can say like oh it's a wes anderson movie and then you kind of get it <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? and when you uh, when you see a like you could see one scene from a wes anderson movie and it can be from one you've never seen before with no context behind what it is and you would be able to identify it as a wes anderson movie because of just mm-hmm. the way it makes you feel the way it's set up um, but I think one thing that really helps with that, like nostalgia, like you're saying, is just the amount of small details that he puts into each scene, like things that I've had to pause his movies and get really close to the screen just to see. But it kind of, I guess, almost grounds it out of its fantasy just enough to make me feel connected to it. Yeah, that's the that's probably part of the key that it is like it feels like the people involved like in making this making the sets and everything have like lived through it somehow right like mm-hmm. it's it all feels like it's being pulled from someone's memory yeah. um which i think is what makes it and maybe that's why he kind of goes for the more like hyper real feeling like interactions or maybe he just thinks it's fun i don't know <laughs> uh, i think a lot he i think he's really probably underrated as like a comedy director uh because all of his movies like for every scene that is kind of a gut punch emotionally there's a lot of like really funny moments Mm -hmm. in his movies too even when like they don't make any sense like like late in this movie when bruce willis like uh is like feeling like defensive of uh uh, Susie and Sam and he pulls up like the spike bat from earlier <laughs> in the movie and is like where did it makes no sense that he has it but it's very funny <laughs> yeah this movie was genuinely hilarious yeah at mm-hmm. points right like I wrote down I so the uh the scene when Susie's parents arrive at the meadow that Susie and Sam met in um and they're looking for evidence and then the uh, mother, played by Frances McDormand, discovers the box of letters. And <laughs> I, at this moment, I was taking a sip of water, and then she says, 
it shows it to Bill Murray, and he says, "Jesus Christ, what the fuck am I looking at?" He doesn't say "fuck," but he says, "Like, what the what Christ am I looking, am I looking at here?" At? Says, "Oh, he does watercolors, mostly landscapes, but a few nudes." <laughs> <laughs> I had to sprint into the kitchen to spit my water out so I didn't choke and die alone in my apartment. Yeah, so, to put so this into funny. context for people who have not seen it, these these kids are that like are falling in love are literal kids like they are like 12 yeah. yeah 12 13 years old and they just very calmly say yeah he does watercolors of nudes just <laughs> and he really does they yeah. show one <laughs> yeah it's graphic uh well as watercolors go it's graphic and that, that's one thing uh that this movie does so well is i think all of the like all the things the kids do and specifically the interactions between Susie and Sam feel like very realistic. Uh, both their characters are like very well realized uh, down to like all of Susie's uh, everything she does. Like you can tell she is silently trying incredibly hard to like win Sam over in like a very awkward, like preteen way, but she's still like, mm-hmm. she's going out on this hike and she has like, like her like nicest like dress on and she like clearly doesn't know what she's doing she has like a bunch of like books in a suitcase <laughs> and they always describe her shoes as sunday school shoes yeah she has like makeup on and stuff like she's there and she's she, like i'm gonna like get a boyfriend <laughs> on, <laughs> on this trip right like we are in love this is gonna be great and uh sam is like very Clearly also, like, very interested in uh, Susie, and he's, like, so eager to show off his khaki scout knowledge. My man is stunting so hard. Sam very much reminds me of me as that awkward person trying to impress somebody by just, like, spouting off every little random piece of knowledge I have about, like, a current situation we're in, even if they have absolutely no fucking interest in what is going on and yeah like i he... know i do that <laughs> yeah you do that <laughs> <laughs> sam well it's so cute because you can tell it's like he clearly is like very interested in this girl and the only way he knows how to express that is through like wilderness facts <laughs> <laughs> and like weird trinkets and things like the the, the earrings, earrings he makes which are like Kind of horrifying. And on uh, fish hooks. <laughs> and on, yeah, like, yeah, on like fish hooks. But Susie's like, like very impressed, <laughs> you know, because like they're both 12 and like the stakes are very different. Like they feel very serious to them and it's very fun to watch as like an adult being yeah. like. And that's what I love about it is like, I like, like you said, the stakes are obviously like a little silly to an adult. Uh, which is part of the charm of the movie. But, like, the thing about their relationship that works and that I think resonates is, like you said, they keep just doing this, like, weird, silly stuff, but every, like, weird, goofy thing they do just, like, makes sense to the other person, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a foundational tenet of good relationships, or at least my good relationships, is, like, sometimes people just do weird shit, uh, but when you find that one person that understands your weird shit and you understand their weird shit, that's that's something to hang on to. And that certainly seems to be the case with a lot of their interactions. I think a really interesting 
kind of theme or like parallel that the movie draws is between Susie and Sam's relationship and then the relationship of Susie's parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and Susie's mom is uh, cheating on her husband uh, with uh, a cop, even worse. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's Bruce Willis, so it's like maybe more forgivable. Uh, <laughs> and their relationship like contrasted with uh, Susie and Sam's is very interesting just seeing like the like beginnings of one compared to like basically the end of a relationship Mm -hmm. (laughs) you can tell like Mm -hmm. uh like maybe once her parents had a lot in common like i mean they're both lawyers i guess they're both interested in the same things and they are like kind of similar people um but you can tell like just any sort of effort (laughs) or passion is basically completely gone and it's like genuinely hard to watch in parts uh like, like when they're laying in the two separate beds just like talking yeah, about their cases that part of the movie was like kind of one of the like harder parts to watch or like one of the more like emotionally like distressing parts of the movie when like uh bill murray is laying there and he's like I hope the roof gets ripped off and I'm just sucked up out of here like I don't want to live anymore yeah uh, France McDormand says in reply, it's tough feeling sorry for yourself, and it hits hard. <laughs> yeah, like, it, and I, I think, I don't know if this is exactly what the movie is going for, but kind of something I, like, what I pulled from it was, like, compare, like, the effort that these two characters are putting into, like, their marriage with, like, the effort that Susie and Sam are putting into, like, their relationship, which, like, any relationship when you first like start out and particularly when you're both like 12 years old, (laughs) like you're gonna, you have nothing but time, you you know, you're gonna, this is the most important thing in the world. Like you're going to devote all of your efforts into like making this work. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is really interesting to see like, Oh, here is a relationship where like the characters are like trying really hard to be like interested in each other uh and then like the older relationship where the two characters are like basically just like cohabitating and hanging out (laughs) like not really trying like not talking much cutting down trees with full bottles of wine yeah like (laughs) just chopping trees to get out like your anger about the unspoken affair that your wife is having with a cop that like literally everyone knows about (laughs) like they're not very discreet like I just to jump back right quick, like to that point of there are a lot of scenes that make me laugh out loud in this movie that I know, but I also feel very like deeply sad about. And Bill Murray walking into the closet with a full bottle of wine to grab an axe, shirtless, and just looks at his sons and says, "I'm gonna go find a tree to cut down," and then walks out the door. <laughs> like, yeah. I felt bad for him, but I was also laughing my ass off at just the whole context of it. There's a there's a coffee table book that I want to get that's called Accidentally Wes Anderson and it's just like pictures from around the world of stuff that just like the colors of the house with the backdrop of the sky and the mountains looks like it came out of a Wes Anderson movie. I think that's a great segue into talking some about the set design and the direction in this movie. Yeah, because uh, like we said, that's definitely worth discussing and we've been talking about story for a bit now i'm sure we'll come back to it more but so the two things i wrote down during the opening sequence 
uh, was dollhouse, like Will said. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very just these like close up stationary camera or just camera on a track moving laterally angles of the rooms in this house. Very just open third wall or fourth wall dollhouse perspective. The other thing I wrote down was reminded me of theater and stage plays, the way that some of these shots are done, Uh, especially ones where a character comes walking into the frame of the stationary camera. It feels like a character walking onto a stage to me. And you combine that with the meteorologist that has these kind of like expository narrations at a few points Mm -hmm. in the movie it felt like the expository town crier you get in some, like, Shakespeare. And now that I said that, I can't name an example off the top of my head, but I know that's a thing that happens. Yeah. Uh, like, in between, like, in between acts, he shows up. To he shows like, up and he reads the sonnets and everything. Yeah, it's yeah, like, storm's I'm gonna coming. pop in, drop a soliloquy on you about what's going on. Or and a soliloquy, yeah. Dip out. Uh, and in this case, it's about the hurricane that is the impending source of doom throughout the movie, uh, which is more excellent direction, but I guess we'll, we could kind of move chronologically here a little bit, but yeah, that was the first thing I really noticed was the, the dollhouse framing of the shots. And then the kind of theatrical sense of characters walking onto a stage and the way they walked onto the frame. And I thought it was really interesting and it sets up this kind of, we talked about this earlier the way that things feel grounded and they feel real despite also feeling like they could never actually happen. Mm. And there it, the whole movie dialogue and the color scheme and the sets and the costume design and the way it's directed. It's just like a little whimsical to the point of being just a little too whimsical for reality. Right. Yeah. There's a little bit of a surrealness to that whimsy uh, and that's what leaves it feeling, like we said, like this would never happen, obviously, but it feels very connected to the reality. And I think part of it is just the way it's shot. It feels very personal, the way characters will just talk to the camera sometimes or look into the camera as they're doing something else. Not necessarily directly into the camera, but just like they're framed in this very direct and personal way. Yeah, and they always have like little things about them that they like. I don't know, like you, you know that like oh one of the brothers of Susie like really loves his like record player and Susie's always taking it, you know. Um, like the three brothers like are all content to like only like play together, or like Susie's kind of like off on her own. Um, uh, Sam has like his like mother's like brooch. I think on like his pinned to his uh, scout uniform, like, like uniform, and like even before he like they like bring it up in the movie, you can kind of see that it's out of place, you know. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of characters will like, I mean, in that example, like Sam is pretty much literally wearing it on his sleeve, but they'll like have <laughs> something about them <laughs> that is like feels like well, is maybe not like directly like necessary to the plot, like the like the record player stuff, um, but makes the characters feel like they have other stuff going on outside of just the events of this movie kind of they, fleshes them all out. They each almost, they each kind of have a theme about them in that way. Like Gwyneth or uh, Frank, I almost said Gwyneth Paltrow, 
different movie. Uh, Frances McDormand in this, like every shot she's in, I'm pretty sure every dress is a vintage Lily Pulitzer dress. And mm-hmm. Bill Murray always has on like different plaid pants. Yeah. Um, but and the uh, social services woman is almost always like just like a wall of color. Uh, she's very like monotone she, in everything she wears. Solid blue. Can we please talk about how fucking wonderful of an actress Tilda Swinton is? Because she's I so love funny. her playing antagonists in movies. She mm-hmm. absolutely kills it in those roles. The way she exclusively refers to herself in the third person as social services is so funny. She's credited as that. Services. She doesn't have a name. In the credits, she's listed as just social services. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. She just represents all of them. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's part of that, like, it's just a little too absurd for reality, right? But, like, you can mm-hmm. almost imagine a person actually doing that being mm-hmm. so having their identity so wrapped up in their job that they just refer to themselves by yeah. the uh, institution they work for at all times <laughs> yeah. and i think like that's why it's nostalgic because it's like a story you're remembering right so yeah the social services lady she was wearing blue i think you know and yeah. like it's this movie is like kind of filling in those gaps and like memory with something a little absurd or like yeah i think that is really I mean, it, it comes up in like all of his movie i think does he have i think a lot of his movies are set either in a time that like never happened or in the past right yeah they're pretty much at least out of what i've seen i I don't know i can't tell you of a movie that takes place in i guess like like world tannenbaums i guess you could say is sort of modern day new york Hmm. would be the only one but it still takes place in like a world that does not exist also, I love that the, the another thing he does, like talking about how these characters each have something about them, is the way Wes Anderson matches the color palette of the entire shot to some of these characters. Um, one of the early examples is Susie on top of the lighthouse in a dress that kind of matches the color of the top of the lighthouse, the handrails, everything around her. It was actually the cover of, I think, Will and Mine's Cinema Studies textbook in college, is that exact scene. Or Sam's, I guess, ex-foster parents, when they call him, he has like this yellow and brown plaid shirt on, and everything in the house is either yellow or like a shade of brown, and it all like fits together it's like a yellow phone there's like a brown door frame a yellow table a yellow fan yeah which was interesting an interesting choice for him because he's probably one of the most evil characters in the whole movie yeah because <laughs> uh, the only thing he does is, is just say oh no sam's not invited back to yeah. our home and they're like like bruce willis is like can you, you can do that like what do you mean <laughs> yeah like he literally doesn't understand. Like, what do you mean you're not taking him back? He's your kid. Uh, the biggest single gut punch in the movie, aside from the like three different times that you think they may have just killed the kid, uh, <laughs> <laughs> is when Sam is talking to Susie at the little inlet that they name Moonrise Kingdom. Haha, they said the thing. Uh, um, they don't even say but, it, they paint it. Yeah. But I'm pointing at the screen with the beer in my hand. They're uh, they're talking about, or while well, Sam is talking about 
his life as an orphan and his new foster parents. And he says, he's like, oh, you know, I'm kind of looking forward to going home and seeing them. We're starting to feel like a real family. And this being like 20 minutes after they already told Bruce Willis that they don't want him anymore. And I was distraught. That was so painful. And then it gets, it gets followed up too with, you know, Susie saying like, you know, all my favorite characters in all of my books are orphans and I would love to be one because I feel like your lives are more special. And he says like, I love you, but you have no idea what you're talking about because like, of the life. misery he's been through as an orphan. Yeah. And that's what like their relationship together is like for 12, especially for like 12 year olds is like very mature. Yeah. Like he, he like speaks his mind on that. She is like accepting of it. They don't turn it into like a big thing. You know, he's mm-hmm. like, right. Like, they communicate very well together. <laughs> like, it's kind of amazing. They're going to make it, dude. And my Moonrise Kingdom headcanon, they're still together <laughs> 50 they're years gonna later. Make it. Going back to some of the directional stuff a little bit, that. The way they shoot a lot of this dialogue, I think, works really well, too. And again, I don't know, it plays into the, like, stage play thing and maybe this is just something i had in my head so i was looking for it the whole movie um but they do a lot of like really close-ups and that's not like a revolutionary thing right like you do lots of close-ups on the person who's talking in a movie but the way that the camera is so stationary for the most part it makes it feel again very personal uh and almost like invasive in some of these personal conversations right at least to me. You're you're very close to the character speaking. Mm-hmm. It's it's not just a close up. You are you are in their personal bubble. One thing I love about Wes Anderson with his cinematography too, as as a director, he is a very hands on director. So if you look at like a lot of the behind the scenes stuff or read a lot of the interviews, like there's a lot of times that Wes Anderson will be out there with the camera and he's the one up in their face with the camera. He's not directing somebody else to do it. He knows how he wants it done. And so he's going to do it that way. That, I mean, it makes sense, right? Cause he has a very, like we've said, a very signature style more so than any other currently working director that I can think of. At least mm-hmm. there's a very, like I, again, this is the first Wes Anderson movie I've really sat down and watched, but I immediately knew at the start, just from seeing like, memes on the internet right of like oh like yep this is the wes anderson style right off the bat like this this is his thing it's recognizable mm. you know which i'm surprised i feel like you hear like i've heard of people being annoyed by wes anderson's like shtick or his, his style but i've never like met one in person yeah <laughs> yeah know? like pretty much everyone i've talked to in person about it is like I find it pretty fun. Even stuff that, like, I could see being annoying in other movies is usually just, like, funny (laughs) when he does it. Like, when uh, all the scouts are at, like, they have, like, there's, like, a Last Supper reference at this khaki scout camp. Yeah, all the lie on the table. (laughs) Like... It, I feel like other directors, it would feel like they're trying to be, like, oh, my God, do you think your movie is, like at the level of like the last supper you know but it's like oh no he's like having fun with it you know you can kind of tell 
<laughs> I can yep. see reading it as sort of pretentious, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe on some level it is, but that doesn't necessarily make it bad. Like, he's definitely way up his own ass about this this stuff, right? Like, he he's very into his style and his thing, but, like, that, that doesn't make it not good or, like, yeah. mean and that I think he's not he... doing it earnestly. Yeah, I think if he wasn't as funny as he is, it would be a lot harder to swallow. Mm-hmm. But him being this funny lets you sort of, like, write anything off that would annoy you as, like, oh, no, he's, he's like, in on the joke, you know? Or, yeah. like, he's doing this... He knows he's being a little silly uh, because, like, he doesn't want to be that serious the whole time, (laughs) you know? Like, like when the Scoutmaster, like, saves, like, the older... When um, Ed Norton's character (laughs) saves, like, the older Scoutmaster, Uh and, like, there's that that explosion behind them when he leaps from, like, the cabin. I wanted to bring that scene up, yeah. Like, that was hilarious. That was amazing. (laughs) And I really think, like, the thing that helps it not seem as pretentious as it is is just the kind of lightheartedness that goes along with Wes Anderson. It doesn't feel like he's doing a lot of this stuff for Oscar bait. You know, I feel like if any, like, a lot of other directors attempt this stuff, it would feel that way. But, Mm -hmm. I don't know, he has the style and it works. It feels a lot more like he's just weirdly obsessed with his movies looking like this or doing mm. stuff like this. And he like, it happens to be good, <laughs> you know, like he's doing it. All of his movies feel like he is not compromising on anything, which uh, is really nice to see. Yeah. And I think that levity, it plays into it really well. And in this movie in particular, and I say in particular, even though it's the only one I've really watched, but the direction and the writing play off of each other really well, and he and Roman Coppola did a really good job with the screenplay, which, again, I mean, they won an Oscar for it, obviously. But Mm -hmm. when you look at some of these scenes, (laughs) some of this stuff, it's it's so absurd that, like, it should feel too silly, but it works (laughs) in the context of the movie because the levity is kept up in the tone of the dialogue in the writing the whole time. So it's able to do these kind of silly shots like him jumping back across the, uh, what is it? A flume or a salus? What would you call that? The like channel that is directing the flash flood waters through the middle of the scout camp for some reason. A gully typically is the term. Also, by the way, Charlie, it was nominated for best original screenplay. Django Unchained won that year. Oh, okay. I misread on IMDb. I thought it won. I'm sorry. No, I apologize right. for lying to everyone for the past 40 some odd minutes that we've been recording. But uh, <laughs> anyways, yeah, that that's it. Like he jumps across from the uh, the safe side to the cabin to get the Scoutmaster. And it already looks ridiculous. And then he throws him over his shoulder and makes the same comically far jump back without with the an run old up. man slung <laughs> over his shoulder. And it looks so ridiculous. <laughs> but it I it somehow like it it fits into the the tone yeah. of the movie. I think he was really smart leaving that stuff for like near the end. Like especially mm-hmm. later when they're like running around and it's like there's like miniatures and little like shadows of people running across it, you know, where it does kind of feel like what they might do in a play or something, or, you know, 
like you see stuff like that even more in his like stop motion movies <laughs> um but he'll like put stop motion type stuff uh or i don't really know how to describe it I, I guess i guess it is miniatures in his movies like he does that all the time yeah. but uh i think he, he tends to do it near the end of the movie when he already has you roped in <laughs> you know mm. like when you're kind of used to like what he's trying to do and then he hits you with like when the flood happens, like you see, like the little miniature khaki scouts chasing after Sam, and like the tiny little uh, dam breaking. I also uh, another thing that it took me watching this movie a couple of times, I didn't notice it until this time to see it, is uh, the field that he gets chased into is called Lightning Field. I saw that. <laughs> yeah, it's like a <laughs> lightning field. I don't know. Is that like a thing? Is that like I, a thing to like where like if there's lightning, you have an open field that's designed to draw it to it? I I don't know. I don't know if that's a thing, but you are supposed to take cover like under a tree, right? Yeah. Well, no. If you're if you're under or like not. one tree, if you're like in a field and there's one tree, you stay away from the tree. Yeah, yeah. But like, gonna drag if there's multiple trees. Yeah, I think the, the general consensus. Uh, I, <laughs> Me and Bailey literally Googled this because we were like, ah. we literally were like, okay, what do you do in a lightning storm? But apparently <laughs> it's, it's low ground. It's got to be low ground. Don't be under anything metal, obviously. You're safer in a forest than in a field next to the, the one tree, right? Uh -huh. But even like if you have to be in a field, you want to get to like the lowest part of that field, right? If there's any sort of ditch or something. Uh, just don't don't be the tallest thing around, and don't be next to the tallest thing around. Yeah, lightning safety with jump cuts. <laughs> He's out in that open field and becomes the tallest thing around when he holds up the flag and gets fucking yeeted backwards. Yeah, that scene in the very end, I think, are the other two prime examples of like there is suddenly a shot that goes from like a little unreal looking with the theater like framing to just being absolutely ridiculous but like because the movie has been written in this a light-hearted above reality way it doesn't totally take you out of it mm. but him getting hit by the lightning this was i guess i think i said three earlier but there's really there's two times where i thought and this is because of a comment that park made about wes anderson movies always like making you feel things uh in the group chat before i watched it so I he got hit by the lightning, and at first I thought the spray of the nickels out of the tennis ball can was blood. And I was like, oh my oh. god, the kid just exploded. <laughs> that would be nuts. Just the infant <laughs> just <If> dies. Boyce <laughs> Anderson just murders him. <laughs> I, yeah, I thought Movie the kid over. was that dead. Would be crazy. I was, for a second there, I was like, oh my god, they just vaporized this tiny ass child. <laughs> <laughs> he's gone uh but no they did not he's fine um but then again at the very end when they're they're up on the roof of the bell tower of the church and bruce willis goes up there to save Susie and sam and tell sam that he's adopting him or that he's gonna be his new foster parent uh and then you're like oh yay like they're not gonna jump into the flash flood and fucking die <laughs> <laughs> and then it cuts to the the parents and the social services lady and there's just a bang and a flash of lightning and i was like oh my god they killed them all 
They're all dead. <laughs> Which they're not. They're like comically hanging off of not like a loose wire, but like something. There's it's the it's the rope Bruce Willis tied to himself to climb up. Yeah, that's right. They're they're dangling off the roof by the rope the rope, just daisy chain holding each other's hands. Yeah. And it looks so like it's silly. It does not look remotely real. Yeah. Like, it's, it's very clearly a miniature that they yeah. set up. We don't even get an explanation as to how they get down because of how <laughs> unreal it is. It's just, it goes to the next scene, the storm's gone, and everybody's okay. I already know what my trailer is going to be. It's going to be him getting hit by lightning in that field and then just roll credit. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh... <laughs> Do we do we want to cut in the like op or the uh, the orchestra track from the end of There Will Be Blood too? Just the like very sudden <laughs> jarring loud orchestra music. Either that, yeah. or you got to do the coffin dance meme. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot about those guys. I hope they're doing okay. And uh, one thing I was just gonna say, I, I really want to share this fun fact. Like I say, I share fun facts and I have them about the topic at hand, whether you as the listener want to hear them or not. And we love you and we appreciate you for that, so you go right ahead. <laughs> we love your fun facts. Thank you, Alex Trebek, for all of your years of trivia, and you will be very missed. One thing I've learned through cinema studies and through other things is you may have noticed that we're talking about Wes Anderson, but we have yet to mention the Wilson brothers. Because they were not in Moonrise Kingdom. I believe they had a prior commitment is what I learned in cinema studies. So what Wes Anderson was sure to do is when they give... The other troop master, the nickel, like the $73 or whatever, it, like in mostly in nickels in the can, it is in a Wilson tennis ball can. So he could be sure that a Wilson was featured in the film since he always has the Wilson brothers, like oh, at least forgot, one of them. <laughs> we forgot to mention that they get married in this movie. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they do. yeah, so Susie and Sam, when they are they've gotten off the island uh where they were originally and they're on like the mainland i guess or maybe just a bigger island um and when they they get to the uh hullabaloo <laughs> for the khaki scouts at like the main khaki scout camp and fort lebanon <laughs> fort lebanon yeah uh, lebanon as we say it in uh georgia <laughs> but uh they meet uh cousin ben played by jason schwartzman um who I guess runs, I think he runs like the store there. Um, He's a Falcon and... Scout who is a junior Scoutmaster. Yeah. And he's like totally down to like help Excuse them escape. Me. I guess they, they pitched him as like, listen, they're going to give him electroshock therapy, which is a very fun <laughs> foreshadowing <laughs> the fact that he gets hit by lightning twice in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, He's like, well, like, it's the 60s, and they will shock this boy if he keeps, like, misbehaving, and they catch him. So I'm going to help him escape because, once again, it's the 60s, and you can just, like, move one state over, and the government will never find you again. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's how it works. Uh, so we just got to get him, like, out of here, and we'll be fine. Uh, and while he's, like, helping them escape, uh, he tells them that he wants to uh, get married that Susie is his bride and they tend to like get married and he's like, well, I'm actually ordained. <laughs> <laughs> like I can uh, marry you and like this will in no way be legally binding because you're 12, but it does carry some 
uh, some emotional significance. <laughs> He's like, this won't hold up in any court in any state because the lack of license and the lack of parent approval. <laughs> but he does it. And he, <laughs> they convince him to, like, give the nickels back. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wedding gift. Oh, man. <laughs> this is my fee. <laughs> <laughs> It's so I've used the word levity like twenty times now, but it's so true to this movie, and it's what it's what makes it work as a love story about twelve year olds, right? Is like mm-hmm. it is a little like <laughs> silly and lighthearted, but it's it's so effective. And there's so many other things too that we haven't even mentioned, right? Like the uh, talking about cousin Ben made me think of this: the way that they treat the Falcon Scouts. Another great marriage of writing and direction, where their stuff is all named in just very obvious boy scout ripoff ways so like merit badges are called accomplishment buttons uh (laughs) instead of an eagle scout he's a falcon scout uh and all of the scenes of the other group of khaki scouts who at the start of the movie are have not been very nice to sam and have kind of excluded him and bullied him a little bit decide you know they they kind of learn a lesson decide to be nice to him and help him all of their scenes are shot like it's a war movie and it's so funny it's great yeah. can we also talk about the fact that Susie fucking stabs a kid in the kidney like oh, yeah. leaving him with lifelong kidney damage it was self-defense <laughs> i appreciated sam going to bat for her too and also stabbing that other tiny ass child <laughs> he was like oh you're gonna you're gonna be mean to me for no reason and, or well really that okay that's yet another scene that hit a little too hard not too hard but like it you know i i felt the emotional impact of it because it's about a lonely sad child and let me just be clear i'm not lonely sad child stuff does not speak to me because i was a lonely sad child i was I'm, I'm unfortunately had a lot had. of friends he was yeah. just a middle child <laughs> yeah i was a middle child but i you know was happy and i'm very fortunate to have had you guys and had my boys for a very long oh. time and i never had to be alone it was great uh but <laughs> the uh when he's talking to that kid when he has Susie's binoculars uh after he's come out of the medical tent because Susie fucking stabbed him <laughs> uh and he asked him he's like why don't you like me and he just says because no one else did that oh man like again not me but like we everybody knows somebody or you have been that person and if you have i'm sorry but the the person that was bullied in middle school or elementary school that people just didn't like for no reason other than somebody else made the decision I don't like this person because of this one thing they did. And then now it is everyone's opinion and that shit is fucked up. And while in real life, you should not stab somebody for that in a whimsical movie. It was pretty funny. Uh, no self-defense. Their whole like reasoning behind the, like the, the reasoning they, or the reason they gather around to not like him is that he's mentally disturbed because, or emotionally disturbed because his parents are dead. And I'm like, so that's why you hate this guy. (laughs) That's pretty (laughs) fucked up. Right. Right. But I I do love the, like it, 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 it felt, it's like exactly the amount of like overly serious like militaristic feel of like being a 12 year old boy is when they all have like their weapons out it's like we have a fugitive we need to catch and one of the kids is on like a motorcycle 
we're gonna make him come back to get and i'm like yeah this is exactly what would happen that was so funny and then I, oh my god they killed the dog i know they like, shot how do the dog through the neck was he a good dog who's to say <laughs> i actually so i'm I, I i defend the killing the dog scene in this movie i could see people like not liking it but it's something that i think comes up in a lot of uh wes anderson's movies with like uh, there will be a sudden, like, very violent moment in these movies that are, like, otherwise not really that violent, you know? And it sort of, like, will happen, like, partway through the movie and sort of just, like, remind you of the stakes, right? Mm-hmm. That it's, like, and I feel like that's what happens there. It's just, like, you know, like, hey, just to, like, remind you, like, these kids are just, like, alone in the woods, like, fighting with, like, <laughs> scissors and shit and, like, running off on their own. And it is dangerous and, like, storm's coming. They could, like, actually die. And, like, they kind of needed the scene to give you tension for, like, later in the movie when he gets hit by lightning and stuff, right? It's, like... Yeah. Wes Anderson's, like, he's, like, he killed the dog. He's willing to kill this dog. And he made this whole movie about how much he loves dogs later, so I'm sure this was hard for him. Like, <laughs> so, the, uh... like, he's willing to go there. Like, this, it reminds me, for some reason, even though, like, it isn't maybe quite as much of, like, a t- totally innocent character having this happen to him, but in Grand Budapest Hotel, when that guy gets his fingers Finger, I was about to say. <laughs> and they just, like, plop on the ground, and it's, like, a sudden, like, shock of, like, ugh. <laughs> you know like that was really gross willem dafoe goes on a fucking rampage in that movie <laughs> yeah like he's wes anderson really likes putting little moments of violence it's just, i think it's to keep his movies from being like too like candy cane whimsical anything can happen you know like uh i don't know keeps him from getting too twee on people <laughs> the uh I, I know i don't you never went to josh powell did you charlie uh was that a boy scout camp no it was a day camp so any any of you listeners who are from georgia who grew up in georgia in the late 90s and early 2000s and went to josh powell i know will and i did is that still an the, operation n- i don't think so um <laughs> I would be surprised if it was um, what their whole like battle in the woods reminded me of was there was something at Josh Powell that was just called like forts that you could sign up for. And it was just two wooden buildings made out of two by fours and fence posts out in the middle of the woods with a bunch of loose wood everywhere that kids would build bridges between these forts and have like sword fights on these bridges six seven feet off the ground made out of rotten two by fours that's badass honestly that sounds <laughs> so all, much fun yeah we're all like nine ten maybe like 11 at the oldest out there doing this and that's kind of what this like militaristic attitude that these scouts had kind of reminded me of yeah. Like when the kid is in the car talking about how like, yeah, he dodged both of my hatchet swings. Like you were swinging at a 12-year-old with a fucking hatchet. <laughs> that yeah, we were talking earlier about it's like nostalgic for a thing that like either never existed or <clears throat> is something that like you don't personally relate to necessarily. The one aspect of this movie that I was like nostalgic for and related to was the khaki scouts cuz again, I you know, I didn't do the 
forts thing, but like when I was a Cub Scout, we would just like we would go on these campouts, and all of our dads would just be you know sitting around the fire and cooking meat or whatever dads do. And all of the boys would just go into the woods with our pocket knives that we had as, like, <laughs> nine-year-olds and whittle a stick to be pointy and then have sword fights. <laughs> and it was awesome. Yeah. Also, the uh, the play that they were putting on had, like, an intense, like, flashback to any, like, school play or even, like, church oh, play <laughs> that, like, I had been in growing up. Also, the production behind the play that they put on in Moonrise Kingdom is insane for, like, how small the town is. They go all out for Noah's Ark <laughs> in this uh, in this town. It's crazy. They have, like, have, like, dressing rooms, super elaborate costumes, and, like, sure, it is, like, in, like, the heightened realism stuff going on, but, like, the, like, all, like, the milling about backstage, like, reminded me so much of, like, the, like mandatory plays you would get shoved into as a kid <laughs> to try to like i don't know make you more confident or something <laughs> all right well i'm sure we have a lot more we could say about this movie because boy is there a lot to talk about it's really dense well written well directed we've said everything about that um but we are getting a little long on time here so let's go ahead and wrap it up Real quick, let's do recommendations. Uh, we'll start with Park. Would you recommend Moonrise Kingdom? Absolutely. Um, I'm a big Wes Anderson fan. I have never seen a movie of his that I haven't liked. I'm really looking forward to his next movie that I know has been delayed due to COVID. But I think that anybody can watch Moonrise Kingdom. Um, and anybody should watch Moonrise Kingdom. And will. Uh, yep, I totally agree. I think this is like a must-watch. Um, the people who wouldn't like it, I guess, would be people who've never been in love before. I don't know, <laughs> like the most miserable person in the world, I guess, wouldn't enjoy Moonrise Kingdom. But uh, I think it's wonderful. Uh, and yeah, definitely recommend. Yeah, I, again, coming into this, having never seen a Wes Anderson movie really before, not being a Wes Anderson person, I loved this movie. It was really really good you should absolutely watch it and credit to uh roman coppola too for the screenplay shout out the coppola family i guess they're all really good at making movies uh, our uh our lost in translation episode's not actually out yet is it no, no. It, uh, that's well eventually you'll hear episode. us also talk about sofia coppola and her most famous oscar-winning movie uh yeah, whenever yeah. one of us goes on uh Whenever one of us is able to leave our apartment. <laughs> I was thinking that might be a good Thanksgiving one. Ooh, maybe. That's maybe a good Thanksgiving point, yeah, because we up. may... Yeah, y'all can that. spend time with your families while I edit here. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> thank you for listening. As always, we appreciate it. You can find us on Twitter at Jump Cuts Pod, on Instagram at Jump Cuts Pod. You can visit our website where I definitely upload every episode on time and embed it, chumpcutspod.com. <laughs> uh, and you can find us individually, uh, Park. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at summerhour underscore brewing, uh, where I post about my career in the beer and I guess now cannabis industry. And I'm not really going to plug my Twitter because I don't 
use it except for to retweet whatever we post. So, mm-hmm. and will uh, you can follow me on Twitter at will posts words, and you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, Will Johnson, on YouTube, where I make videos about movies. And you can find me on Instagram at charlieb.writes, where I may actually post something for the first time since, like, July. I got something I've been working on. But, you know, maybe I'll think it's bad and scrap it. Who knows? Uh, and you know what? Follow me on Twitter. I'm probably going to change my handle in, like, two weeks. But it's uh, at BigSportsATL. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. I'm the Bring sports back guy. the sports writer, Charlie. Follow me on Twitter, because uh, I swear I'm going to start using it, he says. Again for the severalth time since july uh anyways that's all thank you again for listening be sure to leave a like subscribe rating review whatever you do on your chosen podcast app and we will see you next thursday I pretty much covered it. Uh, I got a pee. Uh, I'm taking Charlie's role here. Oh. (laughs) All right. Oh, Sam, I guess it's just ready. All right, Park, you entertain the people while we pee. I'll be back. All right. I'll I'll monologue, I guess. Um, Golly, what do I even monologue about? I don't do this shit anymore. You know, I guess I can probably just, like, kind of go on about some of my favorite aspects of Wes Anderson. I love... Wes Anderson movies. Um, it's a hard decision between Grand Budapest Hotel and Royal Tannenbaums as my favorite one. I've really got the Richie Tannenbaum look going right now. I actually was Richie Tannenbaum for Halloween last year. I've got the tan suit. I've got a Phila shirt, the Phila headband, everything. Um, and my girlfriend was uh, Gwyneth Paltrow as Margot Tannenbaum, um, who... Susie very much reminds me of Margot Tannenbaum early in this movie. She's got the dark eyes and the very expressionless face the entire time. Kind of these short, monotone replies to everything. Um, it's, it's a tough choice between those two. I really love the story and the family dynamics of Royal Tannenbaum's. I think it's, a, I think it's one of Wes Anderson's sadder movies definitely um it's got a lot of good comedy in it uh it's got an all-star cast between gwyneth paltrow the wilson brothers um ben stiller's in it just all sorts of people um across the board in that one I have a collector's criterion edition of that one as well yeah gene hackman angelica houston it's a, it might, you know, now I'm talking about it out loud, it really might just barely edge out uh, Grand Budapest Hotel for my favorite Wes Anderson. Um, Are you just monologuing right now? Yeah.